0: This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community, inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Well, good morning. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey. We are so excited that you are here with us Today, we want to say thank you for being here. We want to encourage everybody to reach into the seat back in front of them and to grab a Connect card. Uh, Connect card looks something like this. Uh, You can put your name, your address. Uh, All kinds of information there Also on the back there's spots for prayer requests Other things that you want us as a church to know about So please, please take a moment and uh, fill that out for us today And you can hold on to it till the end of our time together Drop it in the offering bags as they go by Or if those miss you, um, you can drop it in one of the baskets on the exits With that shared, let me just pray for us this morning Dear God, we've had just a wonderful morning of singing to you. Singing of your grace and your mercy and your power and your love for us. And my prayer is that in these few moments, those are the feelings that well up in our hearts. That you do what you can do. What only you can do. And that is you work here in this moment opening up these scriptures to us and teaching us what you have to say and teaching us what we're going to do about it. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, welcome to week number four of our summer-long teaching series entitled Outcasts. And this series entitled Outcasts is all about the book of Numbers, a story in the Old Testament that, that tells the story of the Israelites and their journey from captivity in Egypt, from being enslaved to Pharaoh, to the promised land. This whole kind of journey in between. If you ask any uh, most uh, researchers, they would tell you that that journey should have taken just a couple of weeks but the people of Israel because they keep making some unfaithful choices they keep turning the wrong way they turn it into a 38 year journey they turn this quick Three couple week journey into 38 years because of their unfaithfulness. That's what we want to learn from in this series how we can m- learn from their mistakes and uh, continue on in our path with God in a straighter, clearer way. Before, though, I go any further into numbers, what I want to do is take just a moment and make sure that we all kind of understand where this story fits into the Bible. It's one of the things we like to do in the summer, make sure we kind of understand not just the little um, sections of Scripture, but we understand where it fits in the overarching story of Scripture. And so uh, the Bible starts out with Genesis telling us uh, kind of the story of creation. There's many other kind of pieces that happen. But really early on, there's this man named Abraham that gets identified. And Abraham gets identified because God's chosen him. And he says, you, uh, even though you don't have any children now, you're going to have a great number of descendants. And they're going to be blessed by me. I'm going to be in a special relationship with with them and that relationship is going to be an example to the world people are going to look at that and say that this is how god wants to interact with us so kind of that story continues on uh the people uh, abraham become called gets called israel there that's where we get this idea of israelites and that's really the people of god throughout the old testament There's uh, many kind of things that happen in between, but uh, the people of Israel, they have a hard time living up to this standard of being God's chosen people. They continually make unfaithful choices, and it gets them in trouble. One of the places they get in trouble in the Bible is in Egypt. They're there in Egypt and they're actually doing really well. They're multiplying, they're growing wealthy, but they actually get so big that the uh, Egyptian pharaoh of the day gets concerned about them. He says, these people, they're going to take us over if we don't do something about it. So he enslaves the people of Israel. He does everything he can to just make their lives miserable. He makes them build all these buildings, but he takes away all the resources to do it. He even goes as far as killing the firstborn sons so they don't grow in number. Israel calls out to God. Ask for deliverance and God sends a man named Moses and through some miracles uh, God delivers Israel from the hands of the Pharaoh uh, gets them out of Egypt without a battle and not only that, he is, uh, sends Moses to lead the people to this place called the promised land. This was one of the promises he had given Abraham, that they would have their own land. and It would be a great land. It would be fertile and beautiful. And so uh, Moses is leading the people, leading the people all the way up to the promised land. They get about two-thirds of the way there. This is what Brian told us about last week. And they send 12 spies in to kind of check out the land. And the 10 of the 12 see that it's good. Actually, I'm sorry, all 12 see that it's good. They see that it's everything that God had described for them. But 10 of the 12 said, you know what? We also see how big the people are. We see how many of them are. We see how well fortified the city is. And there is no way, even with God's help, that we can accomplish What God has sent us here to, we're just going to be the slaves of these people now. This unfaithfulness, this disbelief that God could deliver this land to them, that he has promised them. He's miraculously kind of led them through the desert from the hands of Pharaoh, all of this. And they still, they come right up to the edge and they turn and they say, we can't do it. God can't do it for us. This displeases God. And God turns them back around. And now they wander the desert. Wander the desert for 38 years. And it's in this kind of aimless wandering, waiting for a a generation to die off. That's what God says has to happen. A whole generation has to die off before they can inherit this land God has promised them. And there in this wandering is where we pick up our story today, Numbers chapter 19. To understand Numbers chapter 19, we have to understand uh, the purpose of the people of Israel. We talked about it a little bit already. The purpose of the people of Israel is to be set apart, to be used by God, to be this example to the world around them. That was God's plan in choosing Israel. It's God's plan in you and me. We are to be that same light. But there's a challenge. To be used by God, to be used in such a manner, requires dealing with the sin, the brokenness in a people, in our hearts, in our lives. God and sin are like oil and water. They can't mix. There's always separation between them. And this becomes even more complicated in this story with Israel because there's this, uh, the tent of meeting that is traveling with Israel through the desert, and it's where God's presence is resting. And so here's God's presence with them, and yet they have these unclean, sinful people. They have to know how to deal with this a sin problem for Israel. There's a sin problem for us. The way that the sin problem is identified with the people of Israel is they are called unclean. Unclean, unworthy of being in God's presence, unworthy of being the instruments he has uh, called them to be. And one of the ways that this gets described many times uh, being unclean in the Old Testament, especially especially in uh, Numbers chapter 19, is when someone would come into contact with a corpse, a dead body. And there are plenty of dead bodies in this wandering in uh, through the desert. Because remember, that's the whole point. They are waiting for a generation to die off before they can enter into the promised land again. So Numbers chapter 19 tells the people what to do when they're unclean. Verse 1 through 3 first. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, the leaders, this is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring a red heifer, a cow, without blemish, uh, without defect, without blemish. Bring your best, not your worst. And that has never been under a yoke, that it hasn't pulled um, some possessions or worked a field. And give it to Eleazar the priest. It is to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered there in his presence. Okay, and then uh, chapter 19 continues on. It continues on giving very kind of specific instructions on how all of this is to take place, uh, how the animal is to be slaughtered, what is to be done with different pieces, and who can touch it and who can't. Then verse 11, it picks up. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone will be unclean for seven days. He must purify himself with the water on the third day. That's the water mixed with um, some of the ashes from the sacrifice. And on the seventh day, and then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third and the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone and fails to purify himself defiles the Lord's tabernacle. And that person must be cut off from Israel because the water of the cleansing has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. His uncleanliness remains on him. So we've got to pause here for just a moment and call this what it is. This sounds strange to us, right? Right? It's it's foreign. We don't know what all of this is about. What is all of this fear of a corpse? What is this business with the sacrifice? So let me just pause here and try and answer a couple of those questions and then zoom out and kind of make some uh, connections between this text and our life. First thing, why is contact with uh, uh, death such a big deal for, for Israel? And here's the answer. The Lord is the God of life. The God of life. And those who would be near him, they must reflect that life back to him. The Lord of life and death, they don't peaceably coexist. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all may be made alive. In verse 25 and 26, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's Jesus. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's why in ancient Israel, there's so much concern over death in bodies. It's this, this reminder, this reminder of our frailty, of our brokenness. Death is closely tied to sin for Israel. Why is this sacrifice needed? Several reasons here. First of which, it shows the cost of sin. Israel has to understand that their sin, even sins they think they get away with, have a cost. Somebody has to pay. It also displays God's mercy. Israel as is this dirty, unclean people, these people that keep making unfaithful choices. And yet God continually provides a way for them, a way for them to interact with him, a way for them to be used by him. That's how deeply God desires a relationship with them. It's how deeply God desires a relationship with us. Two things here need to be said before we move on. First is this. Jesus came. Jesus came and died a sacrificial death once and for all, making this system, this old system, no longer necessary for us. But the second thing that we need to understand is we still have things to learn. We still have things to learn even from this. For instance, just like Israel couldn't help coming into contact with a corpse, they couldn't help coming into contact with a dead body, there are many ways our hearts become unclean. Many ways we work through the world and we, uh, we pick up this uncleanliness. Let's zoom out for a moment. Zoom out and try and make a connection between these passages from Numbers 19 and our lives today. The issue here is spiritual dirt. They're unclean. That's what they call it, right? Spiritual dirt. They had it then. We have it now. Whether it's a grumbling heart. Whether it's a life that's driven by greed, or maybe it's just a personality that looks at every relationship in your life and asks the question, what can I get from this? Rather than what can I give? Whatever it is, and whether it was then or now, it's dirt that contaminates our heart. It's dirt that contaminates our heart, and it has to be Cleansed. That's what this all has been about. So, this morning, let's talk about how we deal with dirt. Regular, old, common dirt. A couple strategies that we have with dirt. One is one that my kids like to use, we pretend it isn't there, right? Or we at least uh, I, we try and reimagine. We try and um, uh, redefine. That's the word I was looking for. Redefine what dirt is. I, I have this conversation pretty often. Hey, you need to clean your room. What? No, it's 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 beautiful. It's it's fine. I, I walk in. I I can't see the floor. And I stepped on, I took one step and I have three Legos embedded into my foot. If you have little kids, you really know how bad that hurts. The argument goes on and on, right? It continues on. We all do that. We all try and kind of push back uh, the definition of what really is dirty, We get overwhelmed with this idea of cleaning up our house, uh, cleaning up some area maybe of our life, something else, and we push back the goal. What really is clean anyway? How many dust bunnies do I have to see on the floor before it really has to be swept? How many times can I wear these jeans before people really know list goes on and on. We try and redefine what dirt is, what dirty is. Second strategy we oftentimes use is we try and control the contamination, the sources of contamination. We we limit things. I do this in my office. Uh, Maybe you do as well. I have a single coffee cup and I fill it up Day after day after day. Because I don't want multiple coffee, coffee cups that I have to kind of worry about where they are and are they clean or not. I have just one. So we try and control the sources of contamination. Many times, uh, that's how we deal with regular dirt. And many times we try and apply those same strategies to the spiritual dirt in our lives try and redefine the nature of sin. We focus in on two or three or five or a dozen kind of big sins, and we focus on avoiding those, and we forget about everything else. Or we become like Pharisees in Jesus' day, make following God all about these external things, that people can see around us as long as people think that I've got it together, I probably do. We ignore what's going on in our heart. We think that we can manage our obedience. We think that we can manage our obedience to God through loopholes and exceptions. And we try in achieve cleanliness by limiting sources of contamination. We circle up into little uh, cliques of those who have it right, those who have it figured out, religious insiders, and we try not to let the world soil us. But these strategies, they don't work. We simply can't manage our manage away our sin problem we can't manage away our sin problem even though we try so often sin isn't just getting caught breaking some rule it's not having our heart in line with god it's not having our heart our life in sync with him in what he wants for us That's the spiritual dirt issue that Israel face. It's the issue we face. All of this points to the fact that we are deeply sinful people. And we need comprehensive and regular cleansing? That's what Numbers chapter 19 is about. But what I want to make sure is clear for us is that this isn't an ancient problem. It's not something that just uh, happened years ago. When we get into this, chapters like this, that deal with an Old Testament sacrificial system, we have this tendency to to skim through really quickly, turn the page quickly. We have so much to learn. Like the ancient Israelites, we get contaminated by our daily lives. Sometimes it's by circumstances around us, things that we can't always control, but often it's by our own corrupt desires. Our own corrupt desires going unchecked, undealt with, and they are like magnets for the sin around us. That's what God wants us to do. God wants us to get our heart in sync with his, in line with his. To be cleansed of sin and to be set apart. To be used by him. That was Israel's purpose. That's our purpose. To accomplish this. To be used by God. The answer isn't simply to try harder. To turn over some new moral leaf. To start anew. Do better. The answer is the same as it is in page after page of the scripture. That is to repent and believe. To name and identify these broken areas of our life. These areas where uh, sin comes in. To name it. And believe. God is faithful when we are unfaithful. Believe that he is faithful to do what he said he would do in his scripture and that is forgive us. Forgive us for our sins when we call out to him. All of this takes place because just like Israel, God wants to use us. He wants to use our life for his purposes. And that can be intimidating for us. It can be intimidating for us. We can look at our life and we can say, it seems like I barely am getting through the day. Like I'm just kind of fumbling around. How can God want to use me? I want to just stop us there. Because I want to make sure that everybody in this room hears that when God looks at your life, that's not what he sees. He doesn't see fumbling and bumbling. He doesn't see uh, uh, unsureness and unfaithfulness. He sees all that you could be, all that he wants to do in your life, in your family, in your places of work in your community we're full of excuses about why God can't use us. But I want to take just a moment and look at some of the most prominent characters in the Bible and how God used them even when they didn't think they could be. Peter, the apostle of Jesus, the one Jesus calls the rock. It's a good thing for Jesus to call you. He's also told by Jesus, you know what? On the, the biggest day in human history, you're going to fumble the ball, you're going to deny even knowing me three times. That's exactly what happens. Peter, so devastated by his denial uh, after we find him in the scriptures, after the resurrection, out on a boat. He went back to what his life was like before. He was a fisherman before, and he's just he goes back right to it. He's assuming God can no longer use him. He's disqualified. We find him looking at an empty net of fish. Then he sees Jesus on the shore. He sees Jesus on the shore waiting to tell him, I still choose you. I can still use you. We have Paul, the great church planner. Who wrote so much of the New Testament, who planted so many churches, begins his life or or spends a, a great portion of his life thinking it is his mission to squash every Christian in his midst. He was the enemy of the faithful for so long, but God turns his heart around. We have Moses the leader of Israel through the desert that we've been talking about. Starts his life out in uh, the Pharaoh's house, an adopted son of one of his daughters. He goes out and he's trying to defend the people of Israel and he kills an Egyptian and he runs off and he hides. And he's sure God could never Then he sees a burning bush, and God calls to him to go back to Egypt and to free his people. And that's what he does. And the list goes on and on, and what we find again and again is God has this crazy way of using people in ways they never thought possible. Even when we have nothing to offer, God still chooses us. What I want every person to hear today is that God chooses you. God chooses you and you and you. God chooses me. He wants to use us to impact our family and our workplace and our community. And he wants to do it through us, despite whatever uh, excuses pop into our mind. Despite how unprepared we think that we are. Those thoughts don't even cross his mind. Because God actually prefers using our weakness because it shows his strength. Today, that's what I want to close our time with, just praying about. As Daniel comes forward, would you just pray with me? God, we have this story in Scripture of a people who are chosen to be used by you, They're supposed to be this special example to all those around them, and they fumble it. They make unfaithful choices. They mess things up. God, we know something about that. In this chapter, you make a way for them still to be used by you. And when we read it, it looks a little strange to our modern eyes. But God, we know that you make a way for us to be used by you. Even when we feel unqualified, even when we feel like we've messed parts of our life up so badly, there's no way that you could ever want anything really to do with us. Certainly not to use our life to impact somebody else's. But the Bible is full of people who thought just that. And then God got a hold of their heart and he used them in a mighty, mighty way. My prayer for me my prayer for everybody in this room today, God, is that we believe, that we believe that even when we see our disqualifications, even when we see the parts of life that we have messed up, even when we see all the ways that we're not ready yet, that we also see what you see. And that is somebody you are desperate to use impact a family member to share some grace and love with a person at work to be an example of faithfulness to a neighbor whatever it is god my prayer is that seed gets planted deep within us because all of this that's happening in in uh ancient Israel in this time is that so these people can be who they're supposed to be. That is people who are used by you. God, help us to be the same. Help us to be people who are used by you. In your name we pray.